Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Breaking news. First warning weather. Action 3 News. Live at 10. Starts now. It was the biggest break in the Johnny Gosh kidnapping case since his abduction from a West Des Moines neighborhood in 1982. Good evening, everybody. I'm Greg Peterson. And I'm Deborah Ward. Two pictures left at his mother's front door show a boy she believes to be her missing son. But a third picture, one Noreen Gosh says, came in the same envelope could be even more important. It's exclusive information you'll only see here. Action producer for Dave Roberts is live. September 5th, 1982. Johnny Gosh was delivering newspapers in his West Des Moines neighborhood, kind of like this one, when someone allegedly kidnapped him. Now investigators believe this man holds the clues to his disappearance. Nobody knows who he is, but his photograph was left on Johnny's mother's front step along with two other photos that she believes to be her missing son. Hello and welcome to episode 190 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and... This is a Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast production. On this week's episode, I am very lucky to be joined by the one and only Kelly Brink, host of True Crime IRL. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's nice to be here. Well, I'm very lucky to have you on. I know that you had just <laughs> I'm done I'm the a... lucky one. Come on. Oh, thanks. But I'm <laughs> pretty sure you just did a live show in Cleveland uh, a week ago or so with yes. uh, somebody else I know and I people who listen to this show know, and that would be the captain. Yep, the captain. That was our third live show we've done. We've kind of done like a little United States tour, like a mini tour over the last few months. We've been doing a show every month or two. Uh, yeah, but this was at BrewDog Cleveland, which was awesome. We had a great time, a great turnout, and we closed the bar down most importantly. <laughs> well, when you're hanging out with the captain, I would expect nothing less. Yeah, and he's a little bit of a mess, isn't he? <laughs> I guess, you know, you see him at CrimeCon and you know, you see those pictures on the Instagram. Yes, know, on the gram. Captain yep. is the captain and yep, uh, yep. captains do what captains do. And <laughs> uh, being a sailor, you know, I know what that means. So it's all they, good. It's all good. Drink, pillage, little, little all bit. of that. <laughs> all of that stuff. All great. Yep. Yep. Exactly what we did. <laughs> that, totally. That's exactly how the show went down. Yes. I, I can totally imagine. <laughs> well, Cleveland is my hometown. But yeah. Where I currently live. Yep. I'm currently yep. in Denver. And yep. you are currently in Iowa. My family lives in Denver. But yeah, I'm in Iowa. Born and raised in Iowa. Well, Iowa girl. Mm <laughs> hmm awesome it may not be heaven but it is iowa yeah and yeah it is it's 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 pretty heavenly you know it's green and lush and beautiful so it is i've driven across it many times yeah it's a flyover state and speaking <laughs> of driving across it i have driven through the city that we are talking about or the case that we are talking about today and that would be des moines and the case that we are talking about is the infamous kidnapping abduction of 12 year old Johnny Gosh, the That's paper right. boy abduction. Yeah, what's your connection then to that? Because you're from how yes. far away from you with that was that? Yeah, case? yeah. So actually, in 1982, when this happened, my family was living in Des Moines. Also, so I grew up kind of hearing a you know things about this 
from my mom and you know, just pe- neighbors and stuff. You know, everybody was talking about it. Everyone still talks about it. Like I said, I'm born and raised in Iowa. So yeah, the Johnny, the name Johnny Gosh has been, you know, in our heads since we were kids. It, it was just such a crazy thing to happen. I live about two hours from Des Moines now. I live in a really small town in Iowa. Um, okay. But I did, you know, I lived in Des Moines when I was little. So, yeah, th- you know, and that's very interesting because that's sort of like um, he was one of the first, you know, stranger danger abduction cases. And I guess we should be- let's kind of discuss what actually happened on that mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, it was a September day. I think it was like September. What was it? September 5th, 1982. Yeah, and it was. Johnny was supposed to be delivering his papers. He was a paper boy. And yeah, he was. He was. This was the Sunday. Was this the Sunday edition? Yeah, this was the Sunday edition. Um, okay. He, he was a paper boy. He was a really responsible kid. So he begged his parents for a paper route, actually. And they were very apprehensive, even though, you know, it was a really safe area and stuff that they lived in. They just weren't sure about their young son going out so early in the dark hours every every morning and every weekend. So usually Johnny's dad would go with him along with on the paper route. But this is kind of crazy. This was the first day, the first time that uh, Johnny's dad didn't go with him. So it's tragic, you know, that that was the first time he decided not to go along with him. And then what happened, happened. Now, so. do you know, just real quick, was that a conscious effort on, you know, did his dad purposefully not go or did Johnny not wake him up? Or Because, I mean, you would think if his dad was on the regular going with him, yeah getting up at the same time that's true i i i'm not exactly sure how that went down if it was conscious or not but i it could have been that he kind of slipped out that morning and just didn't tell his dad you know he he usually went with them though but this was the first time he wasn't along with him and so you know being a paper boy back in in the 80s i mean this isn't like uh you know nowadays where papers are about four pages and uh way about six ounces yeah. uh you know these things were this was this was a big thing so he actually it had was. a wagon yeah and uh you know that he would put all his papers in yeah because yep. literally the sunday paper probably weighed five pounds oh god yeah it had like all the coupons and all of that stuff in it and um yep he had his wagon he also i forgot to mention he would take his little dog gretchen with him along Always on his paper route and i know and he took gretchen that morning and that was a um, dachshund right Yep, little dachshund. <laughs> and, but on that morning, uh, you know, those, the paper boys, they all meet up and they pick up their papers at the uh, yeah. street corner. Yep, yep. They had a drop-off point. All the paper boys um, would meet. They'd fill up their, their wagons or whatever they were using and th- they would all meet up. And they did, as normal, that morning. Um, he got to the drop-off point. He interacted with the other carriers and loaded up his wagon he was you know ready to go and uh there are witnesses you know that he he worked with i guess as as a paper carrier who um i don't know do you want to get into yeah fellow paper people (laughs) yeah i mean there were people that's well paper paper boy paper girls whatever they saw him doing doing what everybody else was doing and that was collecting the papers 
Yes, they did. But they also saw something else at that time. Yeah. Too, so right? they saw. Yeah. So they saw somebody. They saw like a man in a blue car talking to some of the other people they were asking uh the the person in the car was asking for directions they thought um but there was just like they had something in their gut telling them kind of like not to speak to this man so they some people said they felt like something was just off but they yeah they saw a blue car um and then later when johnny started off on his route they noticed an adult male kind of following across the street kind of like close by him it looked like so yeah and that was really the last known sighting of him yeah that was the last time they would ever see him uh you know neighbors reported hearing a car door slam um and the that uh yeah that there was a silver ford fairmont that they saw too so i think it was like um there was a blue car and a silver car. It had Nebraska plates. And um, it was, you know, s- that's right about where Johnny's wagon would be found later in that area. So the interesting thing is the neighbors who didn't receive their papers, they started calling the Gosh family. And yeah, so that's yeah. That's when the red flags or the alarm kind of went off. Yeah. And his dad yeah. went out looking for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Johnny was a responsible kid. He usually delivered the papers on time. He never really missed. So it was weird when people didn't get their newspapers on time. And yeah, they started calling, uh, saying they didn't get them. And that's how uh, John and Noreen were awakened um you know they thought oh maybe he got busy um talking to his friends or maybe he just missed a few places they kind of at first thought they the alarm bells didn't really go off at first but um very quickly they would find his wagon unattended um they would find little gretchen the dog unattended but there was no johnny so yeah i actually i had i did read that the dog had returned home yeah without, without johnny and that i mean could you imagine and just what that phone call must have been like and what those parents must have gone through i mean at first they didn't seem to freak out because his dad went and delivered the papers that johnny yeah. was supposed to deliver That's, uh, yeah and then yep, called yep. the police yeah yeah like to you know this is so yeah. there's a weird time well thing i there. mean at this time you know he was one of the first kids in this in Iowa really to be like kidnapped and that it was really talked about a lot. It seemed safe. So I think at first they were just thinking, oh, gosh, darn it. Kids will be kids. You know, what is he doing? What did he get messed up with? You know, what did he do? Um, like, did he just blow it off and go go hang out with his friends? Like, who knows? But they weren't suspecting foul play right at first. So because that just didn't happen. Really? Yeah, you're right. And it, it was not a common thing for, you know, kids to be abducted, let alone by a stranger. I right. know that, you know, at the time, you know, it's like you you think about what happened after the fact. And, you know, I'm kind of jumping forward a little bit. But like, yeah, you know, you get McGruff the dog and you know, it's stranger danger. And, you know, it's 50,000 kids a year ago missing. And it's just yeah. like, uh, <laughs> I, no, no, not really. <laughs> Uh, you know, most of those, that's, that's a wrong stat, but like, yeah, okay, yeah. scare your parents. That's fine. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. 
it was weird because, you know, Noreen goes to the police and says, this isn't normal. Like, you know, our son's responsible. Yeah. He's normal. Yeah. You know, he does not do this. Right. What did the, what did the police do? <sighs> so this part makes me so mad. And I, as a true crime fan, you guys who are listening, you've heard this a million times. He was 12 years old, but the police said that. They wouldn't declare Johnny as a missing person until 72 hours had passed. So um, the investigators at first insisted on classifying Johnny Gosh, little 12-year-old Johnny Gosh, as a runaway. And, Mm. I mean, he was a happy kid. He adored his family. You know, he was just out delivering his newspapers. He had never, like I said before, even done the paper out by himself until that day. So he would just never run away and mom and dad tried to explain this to the police they wouldn't listen um and even there there were five witnesses to something to bring up that said they saw johnny talking to a strange man in a car and the car sped away and all of that but still police did not take the re- the report of john and noreen seriously they were like nope he ran away so and as we know the first 72 hours how important are those in a missing persons case i mean i mean technically it's 48 and then we give him another 24 yeah. on top of it it's like geez right like, let's just I know. um really really screw our chances of uh of making a change in bringing this child yeah. home because yeah you know you think about how quickly uh that would change you know if nowadays amber alert boom you know it's, oh right you know yeah on your yeah. phone it's on your tv it's on right your, right like and, yeah this and wouldn't actually happen no this would not happen now thank goodness but well, the johnny gosh i mean he'd get caught let's just put it this way yeah there'd be yeah, enough, yeah, there yeah. would be so much digital evidence as far as right the car ring door yes whatnot. yes but but like the the police would never wait 72 hours oh, no. for a 12 year old now thank god but and the it johnny gosh five case, minutes no, God, no. But the, this case is that this case actually helped to to change these laws because it was so absurd, you know, that they sure. waited so long. And what could have happened if we would have if things would have, you know, happened differently? So, yeah, it was a huge influence on changing these kind of like practices. She became, Noreen came became like a huge advocate, which is, you know, yeah. that's the biggest thing you can do when you have a missing child. But, you know, not just for her child, but she actually helped author the bill i think that when in 1984 that uh mm-hmm. did change yeah. all these things yeah and made it like you know yeah stupid i know yeah it was in let's 1984 use, let's use common sense right i know they it took two I years just, after that to get that through yep yeah and and she did she joined forces with and before the show we were kind of talking about john walsh and the adam walsh case a little bit that was another one at that time yeah so she joined forces with john walsh and together they helped form the national center for missing and exploited children which as true crime fans you know we all hear about that organization now but she was a big 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 part in changing how things went in these missing children cases you know, that's really yeah. amazing, you know, because I was actually when we were talk- talking about that, I did not even put two and two together. And so yeah. I was just talking about how, you know, when John, you know, everybody who's listened to the show knows John Walsh's theory on 
if your child goes missing, you have to be their number one advocate and you have to be front yeah. and center and be out there in front of the media and saying, no, 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 yeah. we need to solve this now. And, um, you know, I didn't realize that she was actually working hand <laughs> yeah. in hand with him. And oh, so, I know. Um, yeah. No, clearly yep. that she she has followed that game plan for her life. Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to point out also, this is not, the, I mean, I think this is related, but also, so 1984, 1982 was when Johnny went missing. Two years later, did, I don't know. Um, Eugene, Eugene Martin. Martin went missing too in the in Des Moines he was an Iowa paper boy there were so many similarities in the two cases so she was also um, motivated by that you know happening just two years later so she really wanted to get involved because someone was stealing I mean, Iowa's kids yeah I mean we've heard the stories about like the people following other paper boys and and you know it's it became a thing and especially yeah. in the des moines area to have something so similar happen within mm -hmm. not that long of a time frame mm -hmm. is really mm -hmm. disconcerting and I yeah think what's the most interesting about the the day that he went missing is mm -hmm. that they actually did get a composite you know somebody was able to come up with a composite sketch oh okay okay i didn't so, even I mean, know that well, yeah, it's, it's 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 kind of vague, but yeah. I mean, it's on, you know, if you go on Iowa cold cases, you know. Oh, oh, my gosh. There. Such a good website. I don't know if you've yeah. used that before. It's such an amazing resource. I'm friends with actually Jody Ewing, the woman who started Iowa cold cases website. <sighs> if anybody's done any cases of it that happened in Iowa, I guarantee you've researched with some of the info Jody's done. She's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, it, an amazing yeah, they person. have so they have like they, yeah they actually have the picture of the composite sketch that they came up with and it says five nine one seventy five you know hundred seventy five pounds dark eyes black hair or mm -hmm. eye, black eyebrows older okay mid forties he did have black hair though combed back mm. and uh, it's <laughs> I wonder if this is a mullet it's describing a mullet it says <laughs> full and back <laughs> oh yeah. Um, business in front, party in Part, the back. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like somebody that would be a pedophile. A, a combed back mullet. That does sound very creepy. A heavy beard or unshaven appearance. They mm. put Latin appearance, which... Mm. Mm. Okay. And then it says, this man may be driving a two-tone blue car, real dark top, and a light blue bottom, mid-size 79 to 81 model. Clean inside yeah. and outside. No vinyl top, plush interior, Iowa plate. Now that one had an Iowa plate. Okay, because the other one had a had Nebraska, Nebraska plate. Right. And we're going right. to talk about Nebraska. I mean, we'll yes. go down maybe a few rabbit holes with this yeah. case. Yeah. Well, hopefully. like that's the thing. It's like you you remember talking about we just talked about how the, there were witnesses that saw this creepy guy. Yeah. And if you if you pull up Iowa cold cases and look at it, this dude looks like a creepy guy. <laughs> you wouldn't, that's, if you were a kid, you would have kid intuition to know, stay yeah. away. That's him. the thing that scares me though, because so many of the people who, you know, kidnap kids and, and adults don't look creepy. So we, we always think of the kidnappers as 
oh, they're going to look creepy. He's going to look like a pedophile, whatever. But a lot like Ted Bundy didn't look creepy. Well, uh, you, like okay, a lot of people pick, You just don't. pick the one abnormal or like. The, <laughs> Who didn't look creepy. I mean, <laughs> the dude was considered good looking. He had women. Yes. You know, that's coming true. In. He, he got married during his trial. Let's come up. Let's Israel Keys didn't look creepy. In okay. my, I don't think, and he—he's the one who scares me more. Scott than Peterson didn't look creepy either. He didn't look pre- creepy. No, but Dahmer no, did. No. He did. He definitely did. He was—he was creepy, and he knew it. I think. Oh, I, that's okay. And 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 I, I not going to take. We talked about but we, this, but a we do bit. this. Yeah, you know, he's—he's he's just one of those guys that I think that he knew he was so nuts that, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you see how quickly his killing accelerated and just yeah you know that's why i feel like if he would have done anything else he probably would have you know i guess there's a reason if he did do something he wouldn't say it because it was a child potentially yeah but he also felt like it felt like he did confess to i know why okay (laughs) what we're talking about is well we were talking about john walsh earlier and um adam walsh his son was murdered in florida around this time but what's crazy is that jeffrey dahmer lived right around the mall where adam walsh was abducted from and um so a lot of people think i mean there's a theory that jeffrey dahmer may have killed adam walsh instead of Otis tool you know he's the one who everyone kind of like pinned it on but i don't know I kind of like Jeffrey Dahmer for this, so yeah. Um, there, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I, again, I know you don't think so, but well, no, it's just more of like, uh, you know, John has sort of gotten has accepted that it's, you know, Tool, and um, yeah. So I guess, and he's discounted any of the any of the Dahmer stuff. So I know. I guess that's I, the I, only reason that I say that. And I also like to play devil's advocate because it makes it more interesting yeah. to have that conversation because yeah. if we just said, hey, Jeffrey Dahmer killed Adam Walsh, then, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, well, yeah. he never well, killed anybody younger than 17 or 15. Da, yeah. I I don't know. I had a fascinating guest on my podcast. His name's Willis Morgan, and he actually wrote a book on this exact subject, pinning Adam Walsh's murder on Dahmer he had a lot of very interesting uh, research he had done um, just a lot of stuff and he actually had a an interesting theory as to why they why Dahmer would not have uh, admitted to this murder it has to do with I I wish I could remember (laughs) I just just have a feeling no I think it was that it was because he didn't want to be a child killer considered i think that had something to do with it it may have so have it something to do with being extradited and like that there was oh, a, the death a, a death penalty yep yeah. yep death penalty there but not a, in the okay. state so What's the there were some uh, let's put it i'll i'll email it to you and you can put it in your show notes or yeah, something it's very interesting it's very interesting it's he proposed some theories and stuff that i had never ever thought of so he was a really good guest and he was on my podcast so you can go back yeah, and search absolutely. too sure, i don't sure. remember what episode wow i came so prepared didn't i That's okay. um but I yeah i think two or three episodes ago i was guessing which episode number i was on and bill <laughs> thomas was just laughing at me and i'm like i don't know man it just 
you they know, all run together. <laughs> it's I the do? way it goes sometimes. <laughs> I know I did the episode though, and I know it was interesting. So you can find it if you if you look hard enough. <laughs> Ama- amazing sales pitch right there. <laughs> I know it was interesting. <laughs> I know I I know it was a good one. So just just search for it. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, we got but, off on a tangent yeah, there. It but happens. <laughs> so well, I mean, you open up. That's that- the thing. Yes, yeah, so many rabbit holes in this case. Mm-hmm. I think I say that about a lot of cases, but this one is like, oh my God, there's so much. So yeah. much. So, I mean, yeah. let, let's talk about, you know, so the day that he goes just goes missing, there are witnesses. They see this particular individual. Um, do any of yeah. those witnesses ever, do you know if they were ever shown like, uh, I don't know, like a lineup or, I mean, did they ever have any suspects ever or uh, were these just all yeah. tips? I I just think they were tips, but don't quote me on that. I don't really know about if there was like a lineup that they looked at or anything like that. I just know that it just seemed like, um, I don't know, the Des Moines PD, I don't know, there were a lot of critics. So I, I feel like they didn't do as much as they should have. Um, in the months and years after the case, there really weren't a ton of leads either. But yeah, yeah, I guess, so, and I guess that sort of puts you between a rock and a hard place in that sense. Because what do you do with um, a case where you don't have anything to work on? I mean, it's sort of yeah, it's sort of like the you know I always talk about Amy Mahalovic because that's the case that I started with, and yeah. you know it's the case that's closest to me, and so. You know, you look at what they had to go on was, okay, she got a phone call. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's yep. all they have to go on. Yeah. Yep. I mean, and then yeah. they got like a picture of this guy that they make a composite sketch of that looks like John Denver, as Chief Spetzel literally said, just throw that out the window. It looks like John Denver. Everybody thinks. Oh. It looks, I mean, you could open up any yearbook from 1989 and that haircut and that guy is in that picture, Every, you know? Everyone looked it looked like John Denver, right? Well, yeah. Um, Speaking of Denver. Yeah. So, but yeah, what do you do? I, what Noreen did is she kept hounding everybody. She, she just did not give up. She was relentless. And, uh, you know, the Des Moines PD was like, they, in a nutshell, they kind of hated Noreen. Gosh, they did. They wanted her to stop. They wanted her to just kind of, back off and and give up and let them handle it but she didn't think that they were handling it so she kept at it and I wanted to quote uh Chief Cooney who was one of the lead investigators in the Johnny Gosh case worked for the Des Moines Police Department he said in the newspaper in the Des Moines Register I don't give a damn about what Noreen Gosh has to say I'm sick of her I mean, you would never, I don't think you'd ever hear that statement from police today. <laughs> it was, but that's kind of like the representative of the relationship between the Gosh family and the police who were trying to investigate. They just didn't. Well, I don't know. Get you might hear that well. from some police in Texas. Maybe from really? a town, maybe in a town oh, called gosh. Duvalde. They're, oh, they, they've been really uh, upfront with uh, how good they are at their job. I haven't, <laughs> I have not. Um, I mean, I've seen the the footage, everything. I was, I was, God, the day that shooting happened. Oh, that was just, 
No, I mean, this is just, an, just an example. heartbreaking, it's devastating. It's terrible, but it's an example of, hey, you know, if you just did your job, you know, you yeah. maybe could have saved a couple of those kids and you probably wouldn't look like such idiots because you do. It's the the footage that they didn't want to release. They were hesitant to release. I mean, I can see why. It's disgusting. It's, it's. Everybody, uh, everybody uh, should be fired. I hope I hope they are. I yeah, hope I they mean, are. They, I mean, um, I'm sorry, but that is a complete, absolute dereliction of duty. Which we're not going to go into the dereliction of duty and how many people have done that. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's a thing. And so you know, Total what? I don't cowardice. know. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't put it past cops these days. Um, they're good yeah, ones and they're bad it, ones. And yeah, clearly the ones in Uvalde don't know how to do anything. So. Yeah, yeah, cowards. Yeah, that's it's the only word, word that comes just, to mind yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, take out yeah. the, you know, replace the p and put in the hours, and boom, that's what you got, <laughs> buddy. Because that's all you guys were on that day, and I'm not editing that yeah. out because you guys <laughs> suck. I think we can all agree that they did a terrible job. Yes, yep. I, I. There's a lot of anger, a lot of outrage that is justified over what they did in that shooting, for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. The the Gosh family and 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 the Des Moines Police Department they didn't get along. Noreen kind of was fronting this investigation. She hired her own private investigators. She hired her own team of people because she didn't feel like the police department was doing anything so explain the, explain the case, a little though, bit about yeah. that about the about her little investigation because she did put a lot of resources and throw a lot of resources at this yeah i i think every dime they uh, every dime they had went into investigating this case and searching for their son but yeah there just weren't many tips there weren't any leads but you know she did follow things because like a few months after Johnny's disappearance, she said that her son, somebody had said her son was spotted in Oklahoma and a witness came forward and, um, you know, police didn't substantiate these claims or anything. Nothing really further happened, but she was convinced that that was her son. So that was just that was one sighting. But um, yeah, she had her own team investigating all of that. Yeah, that's so, that's uh that's what you have to do though, I guess if you if the other people yeah. aren't doing their job then Yeah, yeah. I would do the same thing. <laughs> but and then like I said, then 2 years later, Eugene Martin, that case happened. She was absolutely sure that these were connected. Police kind of said, "Uh, eh, we don't know." So, and <laughs> they that's they still unsolved similar too. too, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. and then, and they were I the mean, same age. Did you? Yeah. Did you also go down the the rabbit hole, the Mark Allen rabbit hole? The two oh. years, two years after that, because I mean, yeah, I mean, we're talking about a, pattern. a, a little bit. I, I mean, didn't a whole lot. I think it's in my notes somewhere here. Right. I'm not at it yet, but yeah, go you go for that. Yeah, March eighty six. Tell me a little bit about that. He basically was going to his friend's house and he just never got there. And uh, yes, March yep, 29th, yep, yep. 1986. And so, you know, like that's the one thing when you do hear other podcasts about this case and they talk about all the different, you know, I think on True Crime, True Crime Garage, they talk about it for sure, about all the different missing kids in that area at that time, you know, over those, I think it was like a seven or eight year period. It was just, it was abnormally high. 
Now let's hear from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp. So I've been in therapy for, I don't know, about 30 years. And I've been taking care of my brain for 30 years. And it's pretty much the way that you take care of your car. Because if you don't take care of your car, it gets rust, it falls apart, needs to be repaired. Well, the same thing happens to your brain. So you can do all sorts of different things like learning a new language or taking power naps to help your healthy brain. But then again, there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. So as I mentioned, I've been in therapy for 30 years. But again, I'm not your normal guy. So it is what it is. And I believe that everybody should experience some sort of therapy in their lives. One of the greatest things about BetterHelp is that it offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Plus, it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And the best part is our listeners get 10% off the first month at BetterHelp.com who. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash who. It was. Um, yeah, back to Mark Allen. Uh, police, I did have this in my notes. Police said again, they were like, nope, none of these disappearances are connected in any way. <laughs> none of them. But the the private investigators that Noreen hired would say something completely different than that. Um, we can, we can, uh, go on to that should yeah. we fast forward yeah to I mean, like um i mean like the, yeah. the one thing that you know we should note before we start going into yeah. some of the other things is that they were you know i think eugene martin and uh gosh were two of the you know pa uh, pats was the first the first milk carton kid and then i was just gonna say that yeah and then these <laughs> and these two were the the next two and of yep, course, that yep. was the milk carton campaign that actually did more harm than good. Um, yeah, you know, great, oh, great intentions. Okay. Great intentions. Yeah, because but they I mean, they were thinking. Yeah, yeah. America. They were thinking that, like, <laughs> sorry, they were thinking it was going to be a good thing, though, because everybody, pretty much every week, you buy milk at the grocery store, and they were like, "What better way to bring awareness to missing and exploited children than to put their pictures on the milk carton?" But as you say, it did more harm than good. Tell me about that a little bit. Well, it just, you know, I mean, it it, it put the idea in the children's heads that one, <laughs> kids were disappearing all over the place. Same with the parents. Yeah. And so it sort yep. of led to, you know, tightening of the reins and... Um, yeah, panic. Yeah. Panic, you know, you had the satanic panic in, you know, in the 80s. You have mm -hmm. stranger mm -hmm. danger panic right now in the 80s. I mean, it's... Yeah. it's basically uh literally nothing but great intentions like there weren't they, they mm -hmm. didn't do anything but it was unfortunate because they didn't ever find anybody due to the yeah carton kids you know so it's like no it's sort of like the things you get in the mail have you seen me lately and or have you seen me and it's like okay but how many people look at this and is it just is this just right. a waste of money or um yeah, and they did. Yep. They did do a lot of. I mean, um, they put a lot of kids out there. But again, having that sit on, they said, you know, this is more of a psychological impact that I had read yeah. about, and that was that. Yeah, kids would sit there and they would look at these things and be all like, "Ugh." <laughs> yeah, am I going to be on there next? Yeah, scary. So, it was a scary time. It's not quite um, as like harmful as 
say, you know, the, uh, they, uh, yeah, the act that they passed after, um, Oh, Jacob Wetterling, oh, oh. you know, the, okay. You okay. Know, you know, where you have now these kids are all, what was it? The sex offender list, I think. Yeah. The sex oh, offender list. Yeah. yeah. So she's the gotcha. one that, you know, Patty Wetterling was behind that after Jacob, okay. after Jacob went missing in St. Paul, okay. Minnesota, which was a week before Amy mm-hmm. went missing in 1989. And then, oh, so she yeah. got the whole thing going with, uh, she got the bill passed for the sex offender list. And now she says, you know, at the, you know, in 2022, she's like, that is, this was not the intention of this list because I go and I go to these places and there are kids there, they're teenagers and they're in there for sending nude pictures to their yeah. girlfriends. I know, you know that's a slippery slope. And that's then not, like, you're like, yeah, you know, and you can think of like a uh, horrible boss or what, I don't even know if it's a horrible bosses where he's got the, he's on the list because he was peeing at a park yes, in the middle of the yes, night. And yes. it's like, Yep. You know, like yep. there are all these things that you don't really think about what the repercussions are going to be. I mean, that's true. It's how we yeah. ended up in the mortgage crisis, not to go completely off the rails, but in the 90s, <laughs> Talk about they, passed, rabbit holes. <laughs> they, they passed all these different or, you know, loosened all these different restrictions back in the 90s during Clinton's yeah. years. And and then that opened the door to what created the, you know, the housing market bubble. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I don't I don't follow the news, so <laughs> no, but I know about that. So as a former um, news junkie, I'm still a news junkie, but as a former journalism uh Yes, you know all the news. Working in the news, yeah. It's uh <laughs> sorry I can't help yeah. myself. <laughs> oh, I know. I try it's depressing. I try not to watch the news much, but but yeah, yeah. so yeah, we we are going off on a tangent now. Yeah, um, no, but, but I think what we to, should go back to Johnny Gash yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were talking about the milk cartons. Mm-hmm. You know, that was I don't know. I think that was around 1984 when that started. Yeah, it's, um, so it started actually in Iowa, and then it was one of those things that a guy from Chicago who was running one of the biggest distribution facilities in the Midwest actually was like. Hey, that's a really good idea. So he pitched it to right. his uh, his bosses, and they were like, "Sure, let's do it." Yep, it and start. Yeah, it started at Anderson Erickson Dairy in exactly. Iowa, which my uncle used to work there, and um, which is world. like a yeah, it's like a small. You know, it started as a very small dairy, and it grew, and now it's throughout the Midwest, and it's great. They have the best dairy products, I will say, the best eggnog. But no, um, they were trying to help help out a fellow Iowan by putting Johnny's pictures and stuff on and Eugene's pictures on the milk cartons but and then it went national but also though in 1984 um, the Johnny Gosh bill was signed into legislation and so that I was talking about how this case would change the reporting and um, classification of these missing missing kids yeah Um, so this law um, required minors to if um when they were reported missing law enforcement had to acknowledge that you know they were not a runaway they were a missing child because they finally started to figure out that the first 24 hours are imperative to finding someone who's missing so in this johnny's case it went 72 which was way too long but um so yeah that bill was signed into legislation so noreen just kept on and she was on a crusade to find Johnny but 
also help other missing kids throughout the U.S. And um, fast forward a, a little bit to 1985, um, you know, the case was pretty cold. She just, she any lead she would get, she would have her investigators check into it. But um, something kind of big happened in 1985 when she received a letter from a man who was claiming that he had some info on Johnny Gosh's disappearance. Um, he said he belonged to a motorcycle club that was running a large child slavery ring and that they had Johnny. Uh, he ended up, he demanded $100,000 from the Gosh family for the safe return of Johnny. And Noreen sent him some money, like $11,000, I think. And then um, the FBI stepped in finally at that point and they claimed that this, is, this was all a hoax. But again, Noreen said as with a lot of the other things, um, leads that she had followed, she believed that it could have been, you know, there could have been, it held some water. So she kind of believed this guy's story. And she thought the FBI ruined the chances of getting Johnny back because they stepped in. So it was almost like she kind of preferred to do the investigations on her own. And I don't know, she felt like there was something to this, but, uh, authorities said no it was completely hoax so yeah and then yeah yeah so and but that yeah and then in but a couple things happened in 1985 sorry not to go off on a total tangent here <laughs> but um there was a dollar bill that also surfaced with johnny's name on it uh yes. it was it yeah it said i'm alive signed johnny gosh uh, so a woman in Iowa got this dollar bill as change um, at a grocery store and uh, she contacted Noreen Gosh and told her she found it. And um, there was a news conference and everything. They showed the dollar bill in question. Uh, and then again, you know, police didn't really do a whole lot or didn't really think that it was probably real but the Goshes put up $400,000 as a reward around that time too um for anyone who would have credible information to bring Johnny home where would they have gotten $400,000 for that reward I don't know I mean they were they were an upper middle class family living in Des Moines I think they had good jobs John did. I'm not sure exactly what Noreen did, but I know she was previously a widow. So, you know, maybe there was some insurance money. Sure. So, um, yeah, she lost her first husband to a tornado in Iowa, tragically. Wow. She so, has had a rough ride. She's been through a lot. Yeah. She has had a lot. Going now, on in I know, her I don't want to like, sadness. Um, you know, because every time there's a case like this, anytime a child goes missing, you just have to ask the question. Were the parents ever looked at? Obviously not I Noreen, think, but John, I'm thinking. I think they were. Now, I don't know a lot about that. I think they were cleared, obviously. But yeah, they were definitely looked at because if you, I mean, kids who go missing, you know, it's usually, it's very rarely a complete stranger on stranger crime. It's usually someone in the family something like that yeah typically that's what we see and it was kind of odd that uh the routine changed that's the one morning john senior didn't go out on the paper route with johnny so i think there were a lot of things worth looking into but ultimately it seems as though they were cleared right off the bat pretty much so 
It's interesting though. Yeah. I mean, just because of the routine change and yeah, um, right. And then you're and you're basically and this is not implying that there was any nefarious activity going on. It's just right, right. It's just the fact that there could have been a time where this could something could have occurred because of the fact that the time that he was last seen, the time that he was reported missing, and the fact that he mm-hmm. delivered the papers. It, it just sort yeah. of it. it if I was a police officer, I would think that that would be uh, something that I would look into. Obviously, mm-hmm. it wasn't him, or they were, you know, they had right. some solid evidence that it was clearly not him. Um, again, you just have to ask a question. It's not trying to malign anybody, it's just more of uh, just making sure that all the bases have been cleared. And, right. I, you know, especially yeah. with this the police department um, not necessarily doing the best job. Um, right I mean it's worth asking right definitely I think it's always worth asking that question and did their marriage survive it did not it did not like most situations with yep the typical when you're going through this a missing child the death of a child it's it can be a marriage destroyer and it was Mostly because John and Noreen weren't on the same page as far as what they thought happened to Johnny. I think John made it clear that he thought, you know, Johnny was probably dead. He wanted to close the book on this after a few years and he wanted to move on with his life. And if you know anything about this case and Noreen's fight, she never gave up. She made it. I mean, it it was the rest of her life this was this was it and i mean she's still living but um right she never has stopped fighting so i think they there was a lot of tension a lot of stress in their relationship and well and a lot of sadness so no they didn't stay together sadly do you know how quickly um, the marriage you know when they got divorced i i don't i don't know it might it might be in my notes here it's but, just one of those uh, things that sometimes you know I guess when you have a parent who does really get um, involved in the mm-hmm. investigation, the research, all that kind of stuff, and the other, you know, the other partner doesn't necessarily feel yeah. the same. I can t- I can totally understand that. And then if they feel like the resources aren't being spent properly, and that she, you know, maybe yeah. she's going down, yeah. going down rabbit holes. We'll go down here in a second. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's like. <sighs> I mean, how tough it is to have not only just a, to lose your child, but then to lose your, your whole, your, basically your existence, your marriage, your yeah, and everything. Yeah, was he an only child? Would be. No, he had. He was the youngest, so he was the only child of John and Noreen. But they, um, Noreen had children from her previous marriage. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, so they survived, barely survived that tornado accident that their father died in. So she did, they had other kids. So, And I believe John may have had older children, but I don't quote me on that. I'm not, I can't remember. But I think Johnny was the only, you know, one that John and Noreen had together. He had half siblings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... Like I said before, then 1986 comes around. Mark Allen disappears. Police say they're not not connected at all. Um, 1988. Then can I make, the Goshes receive. Yeah, that, on the absolutely. Mark Allen thing? Yes. Yeah. You know, in the do. Iowa cold cases, they're talking about you know Mark Allen's mom's 
you know, is quoted as saying, I don't necessarily believe or, you know, I don't, I don't have proof that they're, they're connected. But when I went and talked with the police, she said, quote, I felt like they were reluctant to pursue the case because of the other two missing boys, because they didn't want this to become a thing, you know, where the national spotlight oh. is. Mm-hmm. Go to Des Moines, have your child abducted. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's kind of, it seems like another example of them just really not, like, they had changed yeah. all these procedures, but did anything change in this particular situation? I could see that them, you know, saying they're not related because of their own inability to f- solve these cases. A third child is going missing in a small window of time, same age group, you know, same appearing to be like same mo i mean and they're not able to solve these cases i could totally see them trying to take the cases out of the spotlight and trying to show you know they're not a, they're not you know they're not um connected at all so i mean you have the colonial parkway yeah. murders that were four murders and yeah. they think three of those are connected but they were all two years apart mm-hmm. why couldn't mm-hmm. these people why you know why can't the des moines police just take yeah. a look at it and go are these really separate cases right right because right yeah there's what else was politics going, going yeah, on Yeah, because i mean there was some shady stuff going on in the area uh mm-hmm. you know if we want to go down yeah, that not, rabbit hole um so not far from des moines more like no oh, i was just saying was it Omaha yeah it was or? i mean it was uh i mean yeah it was about three or four hours about three or four hours to to omaha from des moines it's, no, it's even closer than that. Okay. I think it's like an hour and a half. So it's pretty close. All right, but so yeah. what was that shady stuff going on there? Well, okay. This we do want to... Speculation. Yeah. Totally, totally. Well, the gosh has received a letter in the mail, though. They did ha- receive a letter. It said, I'll never be permitted to return home. They've cut my hair. They've dyed my hair. I look different. Don't ever forget me. Love your son, Johnny. And so when he's talking about they, he's alluding to a child sex trafficking ring that was apparently going on. And, uh, you know, soon after they received that letter, a man named Paul Benassi, he was an inmate in a Nebraska prison. He said he had info about the Johnny Gosh case. So what he said was that there was a huge child sex slavery ring that reached all across the U.S., but, um, you know, it was kind of concentrated in Boys Town, which is, I believe, that's Omaha, Nebraska. Um, Coincidentally, a, a, place, a creepy name. Yeah. Boys Town, right? <laughs> so this is way farther in my notes, but hey, but it does actually connect to um, Colorado, too. There's like an Iowa-Colorado connection for you and me because... Um, Benassi gave some detailed information about this house in Monument, Colorado, where he said Johnny Gosh and a bunch of other boys um, were being kept in a basement cellar as sex slaves. So, Hmm. yeah, (laughs) private investigators um, said that uh, a client would like put in a request basically for a type of child and that these predators who worked in this sex ring would stalk victims and try to find someone close to this kid. They would like take photos um, close to the description of what the client wanted, but they would take photos um, 
and then they'd receive payment and then they would kidnap the kids. So he was saying that that's what was going on with Johnny Gosh and Eugene Martin. Um, so people were kidnapping these kids and selling them to pedophiles. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. what was now? Didn't they find something interesting at this? Didn't they find this house? In monument? They found the house, yeah. So Paul Benassi seems like even though he had a lot of stuff going on, he was probably credible because he took them to this house. They went down, I think it was the Geraldo show. They did a, a special on it and they went down into the basement. Sounds they had video Geraldo. cameras. They sh- At least they found does, something yeah. this time. Yeah, they did. They found it and vault. they found... No, I know. Yeah, exactly. But they found... They found even like initials carved into the the ceiling thing of of the basement things like that now Um, and told them that that they were there he did he said that they that they were there yeah he said that and that he was there and that and that he knew johnny he said that he had met johnny he actually said that he was the one who helped kidnap johnny um like it was something he had to do he was forced to do it as part of this ring because he himself had been kidnapped when he was young so and i think yeah, he said that it was there, because he was, he had reached a certain age and mm, once you reach mm. that certain age now you become a recruiter or something yeah along that those sounds right lines and you know yeah again yeah there are you know there are disputes about this particular witness you know his family disputes it yeah. and says that he was in nebraska at the time of john's yeah, disappearance yeah. and so you know whatever i mean the fact that they were yeah. he was able to trace everything back to a house in colorado that mm-hmm. you know has mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a connection to this yeah underground pedophile ring and then have the fact yeah. that the initials were there and then you know do the whole you know geraldo rivera uh you know expose on you know this type of thing. I think it was. Like, I just, I just, I can just fathom. Sure I can just was... picture it. So I mean, it just yeah. sounds so right. So we're just gonna say it because <laughs> it sounds right. We'll he, just say that he, he wouldn't mind. He, he, he wouldn't. He mind. wouldn't mind. No. Totally. He'd, he'd, he'd be down. But it was, it was a show like that. Sure. But, but you know, but the thing Paul Benassi was saying does kind of sound right because, um, in another report that I read, there like three days prior to Johnny's disappearance, there was this weird interaction at a high school football game that he and his family went to. So at the football game, Johnny, you know, he's 12. He didn't want to sit with his parents. He kind of like was by the fence, you know, talking to friends, stuff like that. And dad and mom were like, okay, come back and sit with us. They were keeping a close eye on him. Um, And one of the times that they looked over, they noticed that there was a police officer talking to Johnny. So, uh, actually, and he was he was dressed as a police officer, I should say. We don't know that he actually was a police officer. So, but um, John, gosh, then ki- kind of was like, okay, come back with us. We don't know who this is or anything. And then, but later he was, you know, back down talking to friends and stuff. And they found Johnny under the bleachers with this same police officer, which is weird. And the parents thought, well, that's not exactly appropriate. So we're going to take you back. And Johnny said after the game that the police officer was really nice and blah, blah, blah. But it's been, you know, thought that maybe that wasn't a police officer. It could have been someone who was, you know, working for this sex ring, um, you know, trying to stalk Johnny 
get information and stuff. So maybe he really wasn't a police officer. And then another Colorado connection around the same time that the the um, Paul Benassi came out and this dollar bill and everything and the house and monument, there was um, somebody found in Denver in a bathroom at a restaurant in red fingernail polish. Someone had written, I'm Johnny Gosh, I'm alive. Um, you know, it could have been a hoax, maybe not, but Denver, Colorado, I, I don't know that the Johnny Gosh case was really talked about a ton in Denver, and it was hundreds of miles away. So you know what? Maybe it was. Maybe it was real. So anyway, Noreen and her private investigators, they they were adamant that Paul Benassi was being truthful. Um, she got to know Paul very well. And um, in 1992, there was an investigation conducted by America's Most Wanted. Oh, yeah, maybe it wasn't Geraldo. It might have been America's Most Wanted. That Darn sounds it. right. <laughs> But I, I swear that um, just, Geraldo was probably did there. Something. He was probably just hanging out there. You yeah. know, like, I, you know, I, he was just like, surprise, I got here first. <laughs> I heard a rumor <laughs> no. you were going to be here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it, it just, there were children's initials called, carved into the walls. It just, like, there were a lot of things that seemed like it could have been a credible story. So, and Noreen definitely believed that it was a credible story. Um, and I got to also talk about this. I feel like I'm taking up so much time talking about this case, but there's so many crazy things. I want to say real quick, Noreen Gosh claimed that a few years later, Johnny actually showed up on her doorstep, knocked on the door, and he was an adult now, and he told his mom the same exact story that Paul Benassi had told her, and that he stated he had been taken, he was sold into slavery, and that there were um, a lot of people, now that he was an adult, that wanted to kill him because he kind of aged out of that slavery thing because he was right. old, he wasn't a kid anymore. Um, and he instructed her not to involve the police, that his life could be in danger, um, and... John Sr. did not believe this story. He did not believe that Johnny ever showed up at the door. Um, he didn't believe any of the stuff that that Noreen believed, and he dismissed a lot of her ideas. So, you know, he kind of classified her as like a de delusional, grieving mother, and that, that, um, that was like the demise of their relationship. So, yeah, but there are so many conspiracy theories we could talk about. Well, so, explain, like explain I, that whole could, thing yeah. with the with the fact that she show he shows up, and he's yeah, and he's, and he's with another man, and you know the other guy yep, won't yep, let him. Yeah. You know, he sort of is like kind of his, I guess his babysitter like or handler, handler, handler. Yeah, handler is a better, yeah, better yeah. Um, yep. And you know, of course, she she has gone on to say that she believes that this was him a hundred percent. You know, who's to say, I mean, you stranger things have happened. So I don't know. I, I want to believe her. Um, the other thing, you know, it could have been, that could have been a cruel hoax. Let's say somebody really did show up at her doorstep claiming they were Johnny. It may not have been him. Absolutely. So, you know, total possibility there. Yeah, I would like to think that it was him and that she, you know, got some closure or something. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Yeah. yeah. I mean, but what were you going to say? Uh, well, um, the con kind of like these conspiracy theories that um, have come come about. Um, 
So we talked about Omaha, Nebraska, and that this child sex trafficking ring was out of Omaha, Nebraska. Um, Allegedly. That is true. Well, no. I mean, there. I think this is a pretty, like, accepted fact that Lawrence King, he was the general manager of the Franklin Federal Credit Union mm-hmm. there. Um, he was, you know, very involved in politics he was the vice chairman of the national black republican council he sang the national anthem at the republican national convention he was known for like throwing these extravagant parties and it's pretty widely accepted as a fact that he you know was doing some shady shit (laughs) like um really bad bad stuff and he like he he did embezzle 40 million dollars um but there yet from the credit union he he worked for um but there are a lot of adults that have come forward saying that as teenagers they had been forced into prostitution by him that they were flown to like chicago new york washington dc and other cities to participate in these orgies with pedophiles um mostly sorry can't talk mostly politicians um so that's i mean kind of a conspiracy theory but i think a lot of people say it's a fact that this happened kind of reminds me of jeffrey epstein so but this was happening in the heartland of america Omaha, Nebraska. Um, Omaha is very wealthy. I mean, let's not. It forget is. It the is. Oracle of Omaha is, you know. Yep. <laughs> yes. The rich is he still the richest man no. in America? No. Elon <laughs> no. Musk is no. the richest man in the world. And yes. He's, and he's okay, now dwarfed true. everybody. He's two hundred billion dollars richer. Than, he's a hundred billion dollars richer than oh my the gosh. next closest person. Okay, so times have changed, yeah, Buffett's, but Buffett's at like a hundred billion dollars. Oh, okay. Well, I'll take it still. I Okay. But yeah, yeah. Omaha does have but, a lot of nice... Yeah. It's, a, it's a very, very upscale city. Um, yeah, totally. Uh, but but still, it's, you know, it is kind of the heartland of America. It's the middle, it's the middle like, of the Midwest. Of course it is. It's the middle of the Midwest. So, but what they would, what they said was that, you know, some of the wealthiest, most influential figures in Nebraska, um, prominent men in politics, media, even police officers, people in local government, things like that, would participate in um, Lawrence King's, you know, sex trafficking, sex parties, things like that, which reminds me of, that reminds me of um, John Wayne Gacy, how he w- would have these crazy parties and stuff. and uh, Get the kids drunk and do some... <laughs> Yeah. Magic tricks. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the so these kids were in the foster system and there were actual social workers who reported these victim stories. Um they forwarded the stories to the authorities, but the authorities just ignored a lot of this. Um so Boys Town, like I said, it was a nationally known orphanage basically. Um they had numerous connections to the Franklin credit union where Lawrence King um, worked and there were a lot of commercial accounts that were sending minors um, to work under King so it was just very very like disturbingly interconnected so and we we could go down rabbit holes and I'm kind of starting to there's one more thing I want to say because I find it really interesting Um, the senate committee 
hired a private investigator to work on this case and investigate the child sex trafficking ring, the all the stuff that Lawrence King was involved in. Um, he was a former state trooper. His name was Gary Caradori. Uh, he drew up a list of 60 potential victims and he started conducting these videotaped interviews um, about, you know, victims who were saying this child sex trafficking ring was real and I was part of it. Um, he had in his possession photographs that were taken at these sex parties. And in 1990, he was on a on a small plane on a trip with his eight year old son. And suddenly out of the blue, the plane um it just disintegrated. It blew up midair over Illinois and his son and him were killed. And the briefcase that contained all of this incriminating evidence about this child sex trafficking ring was gone and never found. So that just gave me goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great. I mean, it's just so crazy. So I just, the Johnny Gosh case, yes, it's one child who went missing, but I feel like it has deeper roots and fingers that stretch all over the United States. I really kind of do believe some of the crazy conspiracy theories that go along with this case. Um, I hope that doesn't make me seem like I need a tinfoil hat or no. something, but it's so interesting and a lot of them are very credible, you know? Yeah, I just would, you know, I would say that, you know, the grand juries have investigated some of that stuff about, you know, the Franklin Credit Union and, and you know, they've yeah. not indicted anybody and, and there haven't been any, you know, con confirmations on that, you know, existing, but... Because they got paid well, off. Well, I mean, there's all sorts of different ways <laughs> that this stuff gets pushed... You never put, know. ...pushed under the rug. I mean, that's just the way things yeah. go. I mean, let's not forget about, you know, my favorite thing to talk about is, you know, how great the, the church has been for, you know, just... <laughs> The Catholic yeah, Church? Keeping pedophiles, Don't keeping even get pedophiles me started. In, in, in business, you know? I mean, they just gave them... You know, that's what I'm writing my book about, is there, the crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups of the Catholic well, Church. You, so. you're not going to have any shortage of material for that, because ever since <laughs> no, the existence I, of religion, I, there has been corruption and absolutely. all sorts of pedophilia. So, Yep, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. So that's kind of like... Anyone who listens to my podcast, I've taken a few steps back from my podcast just because I am writing the book about this subject and I'm interviewing a lot of people and stuff right now. But I do love a good conspiracy theory. I mean, who doesn't love a good conspiracy theory? And and seriously, this case yeah. is ripe for all, a lot of them. And Noreen has been, um, you know, very vocal. And anytime that something mm -hmm. does come up or, you know, had come up in the past, she would always be, you know, bringing it to the news, bringing it to the attention of the newspapers and keeping that story in the forefront. And that's exactly what she should be doing. Uh, you know, as far in regards to like, uh, what we were just talking about, it's like, Oh, I don't even want to go there. I'm not going to go down that path. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> you don't want to go down there. Uh, well, Are you trying I, just, I just didn't want to insult anybody. So I'm not going to do that. And I won't. Okay. Um, so was it to do with conspiracy? Theories? No, it just has to do with, Okay. No, but just it's all good. And so, uh, <laughs> but like with the with the Allen case, the Martin case, the Gosh case, yes, uh, yeah, a variety of other missing children in the area, and then the police so quick to eliminate any possibility of a connection. I think is just sort mm -hmm. of uh, not necessarily the best 
practice of a police officer or a detective agree i think you should look yeah. at all angles um i mean i do i do feel like yeah. it's something that should be continue to be pursued uh i know yeah. that we talk about this i don't know week, you know cold cases or cold cases and then other cases take precedence and blah 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 but when you have a case like this that it goes mm-hmm. so far you know um it just it goes so deep into the community and it affects so many people. Mm-hmm. And again, this was a national story because of the fact that he was on the milk cartons and then it was the stranger abduction. And, yeah. and you know, this was a national tragedy, not only for Noreen and mm-hmm. everything else, but just for the whole idea of child's innocence being lost. The kid was carrying exactly. papers, newspapers on a paper route in a walking red, with his little, with his dog. little dog yeah. in his red wagon and it's it doesn't it, get any more all-american than that it's so sad to just imagine mm-hmm. what his what happened and you know yeah. they still write about stuff you know you still see articles i mean they, even if you just type in johnny's name it's like slate just did an article it's like a year ago about eugene martin and and the connection mm-hmm. between him and johnny gosh and it's like you know yeah okay well we're connecting the dots now. It's like, are we going to go back and connect the dots then? I mean, I know most people probably aren't alive at this point or. Yeah, I'm sure that, you know, anyone who was investigating that case in 1982, gosh, that was a long time ago. So they're up there in years now, definitely retired. Um, But yeah, I know it is. It was a loss of innocence for the entire country. And this missing boy it changed the way my parents parented my brother and I living in Iowa living in Des Moines you know it changed everything and I think still to this day um, when you watch a true crime show or something the this is like um there's like a an homage paid to the Johnny Gosh case in a lot of scenes like you you still see the paper boy who just goes missing and never is seen again and the the milk cartons and stuff like that i think this case changed yeah changed everything in the u.s really yeah and that's what i mean when i yeah. say it's like okay we have two hundred fifty thousand unsolved cases and so mm-hmm. i know you can't focus on all of those cases but there are certain cases that do impact more are more impactful and if they are solved maybe some people can either you know, get some sense of closure or maybe we can figure out what was really going on. I don't know because mm-hmm. I know that there was yeah. a lot of people going missing in Iowa at that time. And then to say that there wasn't a child sex ring, I get it. You don't want to even explore that idea, but yep. Uh, sometimes the truth hurts. And um, yeah, I definitely think there was a child sex trafficking ring going on. I definitely think, this is just my opinion, I think Johnny Gosh was a victim of that. I know the sh- the name of your show is Who Killed. I don't really think, I don't think Johnny Gosh is probably living today, but I don't think he was killed at that time. I think, honestly, I do, I believe a lot of what Noreen said. I think he was, I think he was held captive but i think he was kept alive for a lot of years in a really sad environment that's what i think um i know it sounds kind of like a conspiracy 
and kind of there's a lot of cover-up involved but like you said think about the catholic church how many conspiracies are there with that the jeffrey epstein sex trafficking ring all the people who were involved and kept you know things hidden um and the penn state university jerry sandusky um, cover up just so many cover-ups cover-up is a way of life i feel like in america so it really wouldn't surprise me if the crazy story about his disappearance is true yeah it is it is tragic to think that if that is the case that, that is one really really incredibly sad way to live your life and um yeah be forced into that type of uh, situation i can't it can't oh yeah just a hellish experience yep i know so i mean for his sake i almost i hope that that's not the case but the story has legs for sure i will say that yeah i think that that is definitely something that we notice as far as true crime you know people or professionals whatever you want to call us i don't know podcast or whatever um it's more like <laughs> you start to look at all these cases and it's, I don't know if, if it's other people that are, if it's just because of our backgrounds that we look and we look at the conspiracies and we see them more as a practicality mm-hmm. because it's been so long. Um, yeah. I mean, I know that it's very easy to kind of say, okay, uh, you know, I get, I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to, it would be much easier if, like, it was the parents, not Noreen, but, like, you know. Right. Like, but if he was, but yeah. if he was, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, I that's the story we hear. It. I can't think about it. It's yep. so sick. It's just sickening. I know, I know. But we hear about that a lot. It's the parents. We rarely hear about oh it was this whole underground thing and there's these people snatching up random kids i almost think it's sadly easier to digest the fact easier to digest the story of it must have been his dad than it is to um want to face the reality that there's this group of horrible monsters out there taking people's kids and selling them into slavery that's a crazy thing to think could be really happening in america yeah i definitely but it is i mean but it is it certainly is sex trafficking is a definite thing and you would look also Mm -hmm. at the area too i mean driving through des moines that's interstates and guess it's really Mm -hmm. easy to get on that interstate and get to omaha if that's where you're going exactly yep that's it's a quick route there's nothing out there between (laughs) I mean, right. as far as populations go, I mean, not going to be a lot of cops. Yep. not going to be a lot of, you know, once you get past Des Moines, I mean, what are the other major cities between Des Moines and Council Bluffs? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, not nothing. I don't know. I mean, not major. Not, not, not many. Major. There's, there's I mean, not. Not as big as Des Moines. Yeah. Des Moines is the biggest city in Iowa. Second to um, Cedar Rapids is second to that. Other than that. <laughs> It's pretty. It's pretty small towns. Yeah, and then Omaha is <laughs> yeah. the largest city in Nebraska, and yep, yep. Again, you have power, yeah. wealth, and you know all that stuff coming together, and you know it's there. There's definitely something there, and I don't always yeah. 
buy into the conspiracy theories because I just, you know, it's just hard to sometimes do that. Yeah, I know. I know it is. But <laughs> I mean, it, it's like at this point in time, it's okay to look at it and and at least examine it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so, I mean, do you have any yeah. other thoughts on Johnny and these other cases? Well, no, I, 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 like I said, I, I love a good, con- good conspiracy theory. I, I mean, this, it's not a good one, you know, it's, it's horrible, but, um, I'm very interested in conspiracy theories and the truth, little bit of truth that's behind them. I do think, yeah, that's what I think happened to him. Um, I mean, one of the things that yeah, they also talked I, about in that, yeah conspiracy and that sex ring is brandings the brandings yes and 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 paul bonassi was able to show his brand. law enforcement his brand and they confirmed um there were other people who had that same brand so you can look it up how, what's that yeah it's a that's a real thing you know you can that's like next there are that's lots like of people stuff Yes, lots of people were branded with the same brand, and they had the same story. So Nexium, I don't yeah. think that was right. Is it Nexium? That's I think. They, I think that's yeah. I think it was. I think it was. Yep. I was gonna say. I think that might yeah. be a prescription drug. Yeah. I don't know. Uh no, I think. Well, well just, now that you yeah, that. I think I yeah, <laughs> I think it, we'll just say Keith Raniere. He's he's the one that branded okay. them. Okay. So. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but but nobody, you know. The case is still, I think, seen as a cold case. Nobody was arrested. There are no, like, real people of interest. And, um, yeah, no arrests have ever been made. And we all we have are these stories. So nobody knows. It's still a mystery, sadly. Uh, Noreen Gosh feels that she knows what happened to her son. But it's... Uh, yeah, the authorities just don't believe it and um unfortunately uh they just kind of have that sort of uh adversary relationship at this point but if anybody yeah. does yeah. have any information about any of these cases yeah uh the fbi office in des moines is 515-223-4278 i'd give you the west Thank you for giving yeah, that. Yeah. Just, and if anybody's listening and they know a lot about this case and I, if I mixed up any of the details, I apologize. I'm um it's been a long time since I covered this case. It's been months. So I'm going mostly by my memory. So we've all been sorry we've if all I got been anything there. wrong. But, you know, this is <laughs> uh this happens in this in this business and um yep. you know, not ever going to get everything it, right. Yeah, it did happen in my home state, so I grew up, you know, hearing about it. So. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can't even yeah. imagine. I mean, I can imagine because I grew up with the Amy Mahalovic case. You grew up the Johnny Gosh yeah. case. I mean, it's just tragic. Yep. So it is. It's all tragic. It's our job. Our job is we cover this stuff. It's depressing. It's very depressing. You know? <laughs> so you got to go ski. That's right. Absolutely. To get, to get a breath of fresh exactly. air. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or go walk in a cornfield if that's what you're into. Oh God, no! Do I would never do that. You you would be covered in mosquito bites and like uh, you'd have like a rash. I used to detassel corn when I was fourteen. So fun, <laughs> kind of a farm. Fun yeah, girl. not fun. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. Well, <laughs> on that note, 
get to your farming and uh no i'm just okay kidding. Just get, get i to your book I'm not, and no again, i don't have chickens anymore and again if you want to yes, check out my her book podcast. it comes out november Ooh, got a deadline all right yeah all right <laughs> <laughs> Coming out in November, yep, yep. wherever books are sold. Yep, yep. Awesome. And then the, yes. you can get her podcast, True Crime IRL, anywhere you get your favorite yep. podcasts. So, Kelly, it has yeah. been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. It's been my pleasure, Bill. Thanks for having me. I've been really, I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. And you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. You bet. Thank you so much to Kelly Brink for taking time out of her busy schedule to join us on this week's episode of Who Killed? As you know, I drop new episodes every Friday, as well as you can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. And if you want to donate to the show, you can always do so via Venmo with my username at Bill-Huffman-3. In regards to the Johnny Gosh case, if you guys have any information, we provided the number to contact the FBI office in Des Moines. You can also contact the FBI via 1-800-CALL-FBI. So again, thanks so much for tuning in this week, and thank you to Kelly for coming on the show. And uh, once again, uh, I hope you guys have a great week. Stay healthy, and as always, be safe. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew, but after reading police reports, became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.